welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Happy Draft Week, everyone. Back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson, Barton Simmons. Barton, I look at the NFL Draft not as a time of eternal optimism, not a like we have you know the, the hope trafficking that it comes with the NFL Draft. NFL fans everywhere have a reason to be happy. Uh, I, I look at it as a very sad moment. I mourn aspects of the NFL Draft because it is officially uh, us passing... Uh, passing on some of you, you know the most talented players and some of these guys we've uh, you know covered for three to four years. Many of them, or most of them, you have been evaluating and scouting and ranking ever since they were sophomores or juniors in high school. I I I don't know about you, Barton, but I I look at the NFL draft as like a a, a graduation day of sh- of sorts from the coverage standpoint. Yeah, um, but I love the NFL draft because. Ultimately, in in my world, from tracking these guys from high school into the into college, I measure what we you know graded these guys in high school, what their ranking was. Like the way I give myself an evaluation on on my success or failure on that is the NFL draft. Um, what you know is is. If he was a five-star, was he a first-round draft pick? If he was a four-star, was he drafted? If he was a three-star or two-star, was he drafted? And 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 what you know? Why did we miss on that kid? And so, uh, it is a, it's sort of, um, uh, you know, like the results day of of you know a long process of sort of tracking these guys from junior and high school all the way through college. So for me. Uh, it's, it's one of my favorite weekends of the year. I mean, I don't get, to, I don't get to s- sort of hunker down and just watch every pick like I used to, just because, uh, it's, unless I have a, an excuse to do it for work, it's, it's a little bit tougher to pull off at home these days, but, uh, I am, I am definitely monitoring it closely. Did you, uh, were you a fan? I was, were you a fan at the time when we had like six hour first rounds on the weekends? Yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah. Oh man, I, I didn't, I didn't care. I mean, I, I'm, but I'm also the type of guy that like is is just as dialed in in the seventh round as he is in the first, uh, because you know I'm just interested in what like, you know what, uh, starter in the SEC that has been sort of hyped as this big time talent for three years is all of a sudden like slipping to the seventh round and or what. Uh, what guy that flashed when you watched the uh, the Mac game of the week uh, is getting drafted in the sixth round or whatever? Like I don't, I don't know. I just I'm, I'm I'm a nerd about that stuff. I mean, uh, you you specialize in personnel acquisition. This is your thing. Personnel is my thing. Personnel oh, is. <laughs> if there's one thing that we know about Barton Simmons, is that personnel <laughs> is his personnel stuff. Junkie. Yes. Um, all right. Th- this goes right into the this sort of conversation and launching point. Where, as an evaluator, um, do you ever find yourself getting frustrated, or where do you see some of the similarities or disconnects between the process of 
uh, college coaches evaluating and trying to acquire talent outside of you know the the difference between recruiting and and drafting, but just purely in the evaluation for the evaluation process, you know where what do you see um, that that sort of stands out as some of the the changes that the the players themselves have to go through uh, between these two different processes? Uh, I mean, I always I'm. I'm I've had a chance to spend I've, – I've got several buddies that are um, NFL personnel guys, and, and I've always, I'm always very interested in hearing their process. Uh, and, and you understand, like, they have to dig into the nuts and bolts of, of this stuff. But I always find it pretty interesting how, how they overanalyze this stuff to a degree. Like, they, sometimes they overthink this stuff. And I think we're seeing some – some overthinking uh, this year already. Like if, if some of the, the reports that are surfacing are true and, and, um, and, and I think in some cases, like you just got to trust, trust the, the, the player, trust, trust what he's put on tape, trust, uh, you know, what he's proven himself to be good or bad. And, uh, you know, so I, I, uh, uh, this is a fascinating draft, particularly given what the Browns have to work with. So, um, I'm I'm very interested to see whether they they trust the film or whether they try to over outthink themselves. Do you think it's a matter of stakes, or maybe there's more decision makers in the process? Like with the, I, I think that's part of it. Like I know for sure, like the Browns. I mean, there there was a lot of disconnect when they had when they had drafted like Justin Gilbert and uh, and, and Johnny, Johnny Manziel. Manziel. Like there was a lot of disconnect in terms of what the what the coaching staff wanted versus what the front office wanted, and and I, I really think like you know we hear about like alignment on the college level like the the program the the NFL teams that are the best are the ones that are well like aligned front office to um to the to the coaching staff and and there's some sort of agreement on what they want if if there's if there's some friction or um or, or a disconnect between what the the coaching staff wants and what the the front office uh, sees that, that that's a that's a problem in the NFL level and I think that's something you don't it is a little bit harder to to um, identify when that's taking place but in retrospect when we find those things out I think that's what a lot of times when we see the biggest misses I just I feel like I I hear I get really really frustrated. Um, and I, I don't have the same contacts in front offices or in personnel departments with NFL teams. Uh, I think that – so I, I can speak to this probably more from the fan, from the analyst, and then maybe even a little bit from the agent community. But I just I, – I see hearsay and misinformation just start flying around um, and just like all of these stories or talking points will stick with the player when – um, you know, I, I go back to, you know, what you were just saying, like trust the tape. Like I, I watched this college football player play in high level games, uh, in a, in a competitive circumstance that although is not exactly similar is as similar as you're going to get to what you're potentially going to pay this person to do. And they performed very well. And I, I, I don't understand why, um, you know, like I understand stories get planted. I understand that different leaks come out to try and shape a narrative. But I that is probably my biggest frustration is that um, yeah, so much of the success will be determined on fit. And yet it, it seems like we are allowing ourselves to 
um, to, to totally ignore the chance. Like, for example, I, I don't know, but I, I think that Lamar Jackson is too good to write off. Like, right. I, I, I don't know if he's what he's going to be, but I think that if Lamar Jackson is healthy, I think he can be a quarterback. I don't know about a starting quarterback. I don't know about a playoff quarterback. I don't know about a Super Bowl quarterback, but I think Lamar Jackson can be a quarterback in the NFL for 10 years if he can stay healthy. And so the yeah. question is like, so from there, what's the fit? Are you willing to base it? Like, I, I don't understand, uh, oh, well, he hasn't hired an agent. Oh, well, but, you know, like, I, I just think that, especially from the fan and the analyst, that's really, I think, what I'm speaking to now. I get really, really frustrated around NFL draft time when somebody who has been statistically spectacular uh, put together unbelievable tape is is now all of a sudden j- just an afterthought um, so based probably more on the, the things that are going around him uh, than necessarily the play that he had. But I'll give you an example of... Um what like like when sort of the the buzz and the negative perception around a player ultimately ends up being right um and like you remember when robert griffin was coming out um he was an he was unbelievable in college and he was sort of that guy like that a little bit like lamar jackson in this year's class where it's just like man he's so good like how can he not you know be a successful in the nfl to some degree and Lamar Jackson's personality and, and, and character hasn't been, and been called into question. It, that, that's not really been the knock on him. And that was sort of the knock on, on RG3. And it was, this, it was this sort of puzzling thing from the outside looking in, right? Where if you weren't really around him, that doesn't make any sense. He comes across as a great guy. He comes across great in interviews. He's, he's you know, he's, he was the, you know, he took Baylor from zero to – uh, the national spotlight and and but when you talk to NFL scouts and agents and, and people around um, you know that process coming out like apparently was it was Andrew Luck in the same year as him what, what? yeah so I remember hearing like Andrew I guess it was Andrew Luck that like he because um, the Redskins traded up to number two to get Griffin after Luck was the no-brainer number one gotcha because like Luck came out and was like you know, through for everybody and like watched everyone else's pro day during his and like sort of was, was a, was a great teammate. And then like RG three, like wasn't on the field when other guys were, were coming out and, and working out. And then during his pro day, like while he was warming up, they put like his own rap song or something over the, the loudspeaker and like just sort of had this really sort of this vibe that was really, um, not like like just sort of douchey Mm -hmm. and 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 you know like that and and as it turned out that's a big part of why he's not been successful in the nfl like he can't lead other men he could maybe lead the other college players because he's such a talented player he can't lead other men because he just doesn't have the right personality that that people are going to follow um and i think certainly there's a there's a lot of reasons why rg3 hasn't worked out but I think that's probably as big as any is just he doesn't have that that intangible and and people were trying to say that coming out, but there was like no one wanted to hear it. Everyone was like, "You're just being, you know, uh, you know." The pe- I, I think people wanted they didn't want to believe that. 
and they didn't want to believe that that knock. And so it's it is sort of tough to sort through what's real, what does matter, and what doesn't matter. And I think NFL personnel people have that same d- dilemma: is is trying to figure out whether that sort of stuff is is stuff you can tangibly measure and tangibly uh, pass judgment on, or whether you got to get over yourself. And and in some cases, it, it, it certainly matters a lot. In some cases, it doesn't. What's your uh and there's some guys like that in this class. All right, so let's let's get into them. So what are, what are some of the what are some of the ones that come? Another one that uh, I was thinking about. I said Lamar Jackson, but I, I would say that uh, I I think anyone who wants to start knocking Josh Rosen is going to cost themselves uh, a job. Josh Rosen is the most fascinating guy in this draft, and he's he's really interesting. So I've got some good Rosen sort of anecdotes from high school too that can kind of um, play into this. So Josh Rosen wanted to go to Stanford. Josh Rosen was really high academic kid. He felt like, you know, he has, he has a very, um, a little bit of an elitist attitude. Like, you know, he wants nothing but the best and he's, you know, uh, you know, like he had a really good relationship with Cal and, and Sonny Dykes and Tony Franklin at the time. And, but he was like sort of stuck his nose up at Cal sort of like, man, like that's a safety school for people in at, at my school and and like that's so he didn't really so he wanted to go to he wanted to go to to Stanford and he went to Stanford's camp and I was at Stanford's camp and I was talking to him after the workout and and he was like yeah I, I you know really hope you know if they offer me I'm I'm committing basically and and I talked to a Stanford coach after he worked out and the guy was like yeah we're, we're yeah he's getting an offer He's man. He's he's the he's the real deal. He's unbelievable. And then he goes in to meet with the staff and sort of tour the facilities and have sort of the the second part part of the Stanford tour. And he leaves without an offer. And as it turns out, David Shaw just didn't he didn't like him. He didn't he, he rubbed him the wrong way. Came off like David Shaw didn't feel like he was a, a personality fit for that program. They offered one other quarterback that year, and Stanford ended up just passing on a quarterback. Now think about that. Stanford passed on Josh Rosen. He was it was UCLA. it Burns? Did they offer like Burns? Or no, they uh, offered Ricky Town. Wow. And Ricky Town ended up being he's at Pitt now after mm-hmm. transferring from uh, USC and transferring to Arkansas, and then going JUCO, and now he's at Pitt. So and and but but they ultimately after. Andrew Luck and and sort and Kevin Hogan to a degree like they've been having a hard time finding that quarterback. It could have been Josh Rosen the past two years, but they didn't feel like he was a fit personality wise because he was just a little bit too, whatever, abrasive, uh, too in your face. And and so I think that NFL teams are if you're looking at Josh Rosen from a personality standpoint and saying this guy's too outspoken, this guy's seems like sort of a uh, a jerk, you're going to be ended up making the same mistake that that Stanford made. Mm. Because I I really think all Josh Rosen is is just a really honest person. He's very self aware. He knows who he is, and and he's going to tell you exactly what he thinks. And and the it's very overblown that he's sort of this bad teammate or doesn't care about football that's not I don't I don't find that to be true at all I, I think he's just and and you know and talking to NFL people like he was the best guy on the board uh, on the on the chalkboard among all the major prospects you know he's obviously very smart Jim Morris said you have to challenge him or he's going to lose interest that's not a bad thing yeah 
challenge him, you know, like, and so, um, so I think that, that, that Josh Rosen is to me, as I look at this quarterback group, Josh Rosen, yeah, there, I, I could see a scenario where seven years into his career, he starts to get a little bit, um, bored, uh, you know, maybe he wants to retire early and go pursue other, uh, other things. Uh, maybe he's getting a little bit worried with injuries. Um, but I think you're going to get seven year good years regardless. Like he's a, I think he's a no doubt double um, and, and no risk and, and a very possible home run. Whereas the other guys, you could, you could be striking out on all of them. But, but you, there's no strikeout with, with Josh Rosen. Uh, if there's one question on Josh Rosen to me, he's had a couple concussions. He's had some injury issues. He's maybe not as durable as some of these other guys. If you're going to take Rosen off your board because of, of injury concerns, I get it. Makes sense. More power to you. But if you're going to take Josh Rosen off your board because of personality concerns, man, you're just flat out wrong. All right. So then let's let's go to from if it's do you have Rosen as your number one quarterback among the quarterbacks? I think if I'm the Browns, I'm taking Sam Darnold. Um, but uh, but I think Rosen's the safest pick of any of them. Is, um, so what? What is? That? I mean, is is that a body type thing? Because when we had our podcast after USC UCLA, I remember our conversation was that see, even though they did not play actually against each other, seeing both of those quarterbacks on the same field uh, made it look like Rosen was a tier different than Sam Darnold. Yeah, and and here's the other thing to keep in mind with Rosen. He is a, he was a like top-ranked junior tennis player. Um, has, he you know, is grown so up country as, club. <laughs> yeah, but I say that, that's, yeah, you that's, could take that two ways. Yeah, that yeah, yeah, a, no, that's, a that's not a bad thing. thing. To be, yeah. But it's also got, a, it's an athletic background that's a good foundation. He's been, everything he's done, he's been successful at. And, and I think the big, like the most impressive thing about Josh Rosen is that throughout his entire career, and I was just at the, one of the Elite 11 Regionals last weekend, and I was talking with uh, Joey Roberts, who's, one, who's their personnel director, and Bucky Brooks that's from the NFL Network is, 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 goes on those camps as well. And we were talking about this, and like the, Josh Rosen, throughout his entire career, high school, college, he has been the guy. He has been all the expectations in the world on him, and every step of the way, he shouldered that burden and lived up to it. And that's hard to do, and you don't see it happen very often. You see why the, the you know, every year, like, the five-star guys are, off, like, so often bust at the quarterback position. A big reason for that is because those guys get so much hype so early, and it's hard for them to, to, to shoulder it. Rosen's done that. So... I think that that's a big reason to feel confident about Josh Rosen. But at the same time, Sam Darnold, one thing that like is gets overlooked with Sam Darnold. First of all, he's 20 years old right now. He's the youngest of the four major quarterbacks coming out. He's not even can't even buy a, a beer legally. Um, he's had 3 full years as a starter in his entire career. Right? So as a is sophomore that one in high school, in, he, one in high school, two in college. So, as a sophomore in high school, he played linebacker. Behind a, um, uh, a, I believe, let's see, it would have been Travis Wilson would have been in front of him, uh, who ended up playing at Utah. Uh, oh, shit. yeah. As oh, a junior shit. in high school, he takes over the starting job, and 
three games in, breaks his foot or, or breaks his leg or something and, and misses the, the rest of the season. Okay? So then he goes into his senior year, starts as a senior, and, and kills it. And, and then redshirts two years as a starter in, at USC. So he's got three full years as a starter, 20 years old. He was a three-sport athlete in high school, played basketball, baseball, football, was a double-double guy in basketball, like league MVP. So he's really athletic. He's getting better. And, and here's the other thing about, about Sam Darnold that I think is, is – that makes you feel like, like – I, I, what I'm getting at here is that Sam Darnold has all this ceiling left to go, has all this upside. You see the way he made plays at the end of the Texas game, like when the game was on the line. Like he – he, he feels those moments, and he, and he lives in those really effectively. Um, one of the things I love about Sam Darnold, Ricky Town comes back into this discussion here, the, the, the only other offer that, you, that Stanford handed out that year. Ricky Town committed to USC. He was the big-name quarterback. You talk about a guy that had all those expectations, had all that, uh, that on his shoulders and, and, and crumbled under it. That's what happened with Ricky Town. But Sam Darnold, heading into his senior season, he again, remember, he had played three games all of his junior year, and he did well on some of the camp circuits. Went to USC's camp; they they did well. Looked like he was going to go to Duke. USC already had Ricky Town committed before he even played his senior year. Sam Darnold said, "You know what? I'm going to go to USC. I'm better than this Ricky Town kid. I don't care how high he's ranked. I'm going to go in there and, and beat him out." And sure enough, he commits, has a big senior season, and goes to the Army Bowl alongside Ricky Town. And uh, you know is is has a has a, uh, a strong showing there, but they both enroll early, and like two weeks into spring practice, Ricky Towns ready to transfer, and that's Sam Darnold, just a competitive, like no nonsense dude. And so I think, again, while I think Josh Rosen is the safest pick and is a it would be a great pick at one, I think Sam Darnold gives you the best balance of of talent and upside. So where does Josh Allen fit into this in your eyes? He's the ba- he's the um, Christian Hackenberg of this crew. Yeah, like I, I don't Christian, see it. Christian Hackenberg was a fifty percent passer throughout his entire football career. Through high school, he was a fifty percent fifty plus percent passer. In college, he was a fifty plus percent passer. In the NFL, of course, he's not any more uh, not any more um, accurate, but. What, what Christian Hackenberg had, when you watched him at like an Elite 11 camp, um, he was unbelievable. I remember seeing him like at the Elite 11 finals when they bring in the, the college kids as the counselors, you know, to work out with the high school kids. Mm-hmm. And Christian Hackenberg was one of the college kids they brought in. And man, when, you're, when he's throwing on air, there's no one in the world that looks better than Christian Hackenberg. And people got seduced by that. I was shocked when the Jets took him second round. Because he hadn't shown that that he had any, you know, reason to be drafted that high, but he just—I think—you just get seduced by that, and I think that's what happened to Josh Allen. People are just getting seduced by how big he is and how strong his arm is, but he's not shown that he's that guy. And so I think that if if anyone drafts him in the top four, I think that that's a—or or if they dropped him with ahead of any of these other three quarterbacks, it may feel Barkley and or Bayfield, Darnold and and um, Rosen. And Rosen then I think that's crazy. And he might go number one. He might go number one. Because mm. people are saying that John Dorsey, you know, is, is into upside guys and drafted Patrick Mahomes last year with the Chiefs or whatever. Man, this Josh Allen ain't, ain't Pat Mahomes. 
There's mm-hmm. just no there's no comparison there to me. I'm sorry. Did Josh Allen throw for 600 yards against Oklahoma? <laughs> right. I didn't think so. I, <laughs> I'm so glad that Patrick Mahomes is going to end up being a successful quarterback so we can go back and look at those absurd games that he had. Just like 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 he he put up numbers at Texas Tech that good Madden players don't put up on their PlayStations. Right. right. <laughs> Very good ones. Uh I I look at I look at Mayfield just to round out the quarterback conversation. I I look at Mayfield as a another um like I I think the floor is high. I don't I don't know if there's an, an incredibly high ceiling, but the there, there seems to be nothing but value added. Basically, you look at all of the depth charts of quarterbacks across the NFL. Um, having Baker Mayfield in that room is is going to make your quarterback position better. Yeah, and this he's another one where let's not overthink ourselves. NFL, well, just because he grabbed his crotch against Kansas doesn't mean he's a bad kid. Like doesn't mean he's some sort of locker room cancer. Uh, he's competitive. And he's a he, by all accounts is a great teammate, and he's a winner, and he's he's, and and I think you want a guy like that in your locker room. I, there's been, there's been periods throughout the course of this NFL draft process where I've liked Baker Mayfield the best of all the quarterbacks. I've sort of fallen back on that just based on feeling more confident in the other two, but, but I think Baker Mayfield is, is. I mean, I think he's. I think he's a Drew Brees is a fair comparison. I think he could have that kind of success. And I mean, you can't like. And and I talked to one NFL uh, personnel guy who said, you know, that when you compare the quarterbacks, and you're just talking about purely like the the physical traits that they put on film, like the the touch, the you know arm strength, the. Uh, the, the zip on the intermediate passes, like the, those sort of um, categories that they sort of evaluate and columns that they put these 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 traits into. Baker Mayfield measures grades as well as any of the other guys in those traits. And so then you get to sort of, all right, well, then what's the problem then? What's the holdup? And then you get to where like, all right, are you treating this guy like he's a Johnny Manziel or are you treating this guy like he's just a you know a really competitive quarterback and I think that's where you get into I mean you know those guys got to make their money but I, I I am not I don't think a Johnny Manziel comparison is is even in the realm of 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 honest evaluation like I don't think that that's a fair comparison from a personnel personality standpoint um, Baker Mayfield has has shown all indications that the guy is a, is a football junkie um, so. I'm I'm I, that that doesn't that doesn't give me pause for him. Yeah, does uh does Johnny Manziel have three straight conference titles? Like yeah, yeah. Not, Johnny Manziel not, does yeah. not not to go all winner on this, but uh, I watched Baker Mayfield, like Baker Mayfield himself, both within a system and also with his innate playmaking ability, uh, navigate through. Like yeah, the the Big Twelve Conference is not put up a fight as the toughest conference in college football, but there were hard wins. Like there were, there was the Kansas state game where Oklahoma's defense just could not stop Kansas state's running game. And Baker had to go win that game. And he did. And that's exactly what you want. Uh, Baker's had so many big moments like throughout, even going back to like, you know, Tennessee 
three years ago at this point. Oh, like when yeah. He was, when he sort of emerged as that, like, oh, wow, who's this Baker Mayfield guy that Tennessee can't stop? Um, like, there's just, like, his whole career is just peppered with these big moments. And so I think you want a guy like that. Is there anyone uh, in the first round that you think the NFL heads are way off on? Um, that's a good question. Uh, you know, I think I, uh, caught me off guard on that one. I, 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 I'll give you one. Yeah, I'll give you listen, because I, 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 oh, go, go ahead. I'm a, I, I am a little bit. I think so often the NFL at the wide receiver position, there's a there's a tendency to get seduced by the forty time and the size. And and not look at like you got to be a to be a great receiver in the NFL. You got to be a a receiver, not a great athlete, but a receiver. And and I, I'm seeing some some mocks of DJ Chark going first round. That I, I have a hard time buying that because he made some plays at LSU sure late in his career, but to me he's just a big, really a- athletic guy. And those are the type of guys that ultimately the NFL gets burned on at the wide receiver position. Like, give me Calvin Ridley every day of the week over him. Give me even DJ Moore, honestly, over a guy like that. Because those are guys – like, Calvin Ridley has been and – this, and this goes back to high school. Like, that dude just understands how to run a route. I was going to say – understands how to get open. Yeah, like, wide, it, maybe there was a window where uh, – you know, for whatever reason, the just just having the freaks would get it done, but that almost seems outdated because everyone's a freak right now. Right. Like everybody is a freak at the wide receiver position in some way, shape, or form. And I, I that's where you get back into wide receiver as an art. Wide receiver, you said just be a receiver. Like wide receiver is a craft. Understanding how to know routes, understanding like the the intricate details of how to position yourself against the defender to be able to get the, get the little bit of window that you need coming out of your breaks. Like what was it? Uh, I, like Penn state's Deshaun Hamilton. That dude is yeah. sick. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And yeah. He, he's, 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 he absolutely has that, that profile. And I, I, I'm with, I'm with you. I, I give me, uh, Give me the the wide receiver who has all the ball skills, who has the perfect understanding of the route tree, and the and really appreciates like appreciates the art of being a wide receiver like a like a ninja or a martial arts fighter. Well, I mean that's you know Odell Beckham when he was coming out. I mean he he you know he ran a blazing forty time and sort of got a lot of that hype based on um, on how athletic he proved to be. But that dude is is a absolute craftsman at the wide receiver position. And, and like when I used to go down to LSU for their camps, when he was still in school, like he was always on the practice field, working on the little things, um, working on the, the, the minute details of that position. And, and I really believe like that's, that's why he's good. I mean, yeah, he's athletic, but the reason he's good is because he's just such a natural wide receiver and he, and that, and he's, he's crafted that. And, and um, if I'm an NFL scout or if I'm an NFL GM that's what I'm looking for is someone that is just bought in fully to that position you know what one of the things that frustrates me about the NFL draft is that ultimately the people who are making positions are doing things like 
you know, trying to measure scarcity, trying to, to measure team needs. Like it, it is not a, it is not a straight up ranking of the best available players. You know, there's, there's a lot more science to it. And I understand that. I think that I, I cannot imagine, um, any, like for, to me, two players, Roquan Smith and Derwin James just seem like two of the five best players in college football from this crop. And I can't, I, I just can't, I just can't believe that there would be a chance that one or both of them would end up falling outside the top dozen. I agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, those are guys when you just turn on the film, you don't have to know what you're looking for. You don't have to be, you, you know, you don't have to ask what their number is. They're going to, they're going to reveal themselves to you pretty quickly on film. Um, you know, Roquan Smith was my favorite linebacker all year. The things that he would do and, and, and particularly the way the game has, has developed to where you, I mean, linebackers are no longer supposed to be these 6'4", 245-pound pluggers. Like, they got to be able to run sideline to sideline. They have to be able to deal with RPO stuff. They got to be able to deal with the occasional, um, you know, zone read stuff. Like, they, they have to be very versatile. And, and man, Roquan does that. Like, I still remember, like, I tweeted it out. Um, but, like, when he, like, the, his response to, like, a Brandon Wimbush uh, read option uh, to the perimeter and, like, the way he t- hawked him down for, like, a one-yard gain when, for what looked like it should have been an eight-yard gain uh, was unbelievable. The way he, <clears throat> you know, some of the – now, now the, the flip side of that is – like he can get swallowed up by Orlando Brown against Oklahoma. Like he he made some unbelievable plays, but then you know he kind of gets he he can. So is it his size? Gonna, is that is that what ends up knocking? Uh, let's say Smith first. Like is it's a size situation? Yeah, I mean he's not the. Um, yeah, he's 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 a, he's a little bit more of a. That dude um, sees the game though. That's the saying. No, that's what I, I'm with you. I agree with you. Um, so I'm on it with him. Uh, Derwin James, same thing, just a freak. Like Derwin James is, he's just a, like, he's a dream safety body. Um, and so I think if you need a, like, if, if, if you need a safety, I'm taking, I'm taking him, um, in this draft. Uh, I I think Minka Fitzpatrick, you can make an argument. He's, he's, cause Minka, the thing with Minka Fitzpatrick, that dude could be a corner. Like, I don't understand why he's being built strictly as a safety. I think Minka, if he needed to play corner for for three years at, at Alabama, if they didn't need him in different spots, he could have been that guy and been a lockdown corner. So, um, and that's a that's a, obviously a positive for for the safety position in the league that has to cover slots and tight ends. Um, so so Minka might give you a little more versatility there, but uh, but I I, I, I love Derwin James and, and and what he brings from a from a run support standpoint and, and a physicality standpoint. Is there anything position wise out of this uh, class that stands out to you um, in terms of, you know, loaded at one position, maybe scarce at others? Well, one of the things that like when I look at this draft and, and so like a lot of times I'll put myself in the Browns position and, and man, it's hard to think about resisting uh, drafting Saquon Barkley at, at either one or four, right? So he's just such a freak and just such a, a unique specimen. I really think that uh, forget about positional value. Like I want I, that guy's the best player in the draft, uh, and I want him on my team. But the the counter argument to that is I really believe like 
you can get like get John Kelly in round four or three or something, you know, from Tennessee. Get Akram Wadley. Like I don't understand why Akram Wadley didn't get more height. Like to me, take him in the second or third round. I, mean, I don't know if that's a if that's higher than most people project him, but I, I'll take Akram Wadley on my team in the second round or third round. Um, you know, maybe you get if you're getting hey, if you want to go a little higher than that, like take your take your Bradley Chubb at, at four. And then maybe you can get maybe Sony Michelle slips to you in round two if you're the Browns. Um, I just think there's a lot of running backs. Nick Chubb is is you know if you can get him in round two or Darius Geis or Sony uh, Sony Michelle could be Alvin Kamara. That, like that's I've said that to people this year. Like Alvin Kamara made Sony Michelle a lot of money. Yeah. At least he should have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, I agree. That's you know like that's the. That that's who he is, and and the beauty of Sony Michelle, not only is he a great pass catcher out of the backfield, uh, not only is he that NFL versatile guy, but he's also the he's the better pass blocker of the two between him and Nick Chubb. Like he's a great pass protector, so he really is that complete back. Um, but but even like again like, hey maybe maybe so, so, someone picks up Sony in in round one. Uh, I mean, give me Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb is a stud, man. Like Nick Chubb, I talked to. I was at the NFL Combine last year, and there was a a director of player personnel that I'm buddies with who told me that if Chubb had come out that year, his team was prepared to take him in the first round. Wow. Um, and uh, you know because they just felt like he was a great value get. I mean, that, that was coming off that injury and everything. Um, so I, I think. People are sort of sleeping on Nick Chubb because he, you know, he he split time with with Sony. But Nick Chubb is is, I mean, he's kind of what the the old prototype is, just a physical, fast, like mean back who is. And when you talk about like these guys getting the right guys in the locker room, that's another reason why I think Sa- Saquon Barkley's a no doubt kid. Is like I remember watching him at Penn State spring practice last year. Like they were holding him out. Uh, just for just to be safe, but man, like that guy was so engaged in coaching up the other backs and just being in the huddle every play. Like he loves it. Like that's that's a kid you, that makes your locker room and your team better. Nick Chubb has that same sort of vibe to him as well, and the way he works, the work ethic he's going to bring to the guys around him. Like those are things that I, I I think are 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 really encouraging about some of these running backs in this class as well. There's uh. It, it feels like this class doesn't have a tremendous um, – well, how about this? It doesn't take long for me to look at the defensive lineman group and start to get to some – start to get to Josh Sweat, you know? Like, I, I love Mo oh, – Josh Sweat was a five-star coming out of Virginia, right? Yeah. Like, top, yep. top-rated prospect guy. It never totally – like there were flashes at Florida State, but I've seen a lot of really good defensive linemen at Florida State. Josh Sweat, based on college performance alone, doesn't rank uh, very high up on my list. I thought Mo Hurst was a beast, and obviously Bradley Chubb. You know, seems it, not that Bradley Chubb is not deserving of a top five pick, but I I'm looking at the group and it does seem like game changing, surefire defensive lineman prospects are uh, at a shortage, which is so interesting considering uh how important the defensive line is for success at all levels of football yeah sure i mean like marcus davenport is is what he may be the 
after Chubb, the, the, the top guy taken on the D-line. Um, Vita Vea maybe is, a, from an interior standpoint, is, is a guy that seems to be a, a pretty sure thing. Um, I don't know if Deron Payne is a sure thing. I think Deron Payne is sick. I don't know if he's a sure thing. You know what's interesting about Deron Payne? What? When he was coming out of high school, the, the thing that – like I didn't have him as a five-star in our rankings, and the reason I didn't was – Every other like every other event you'd see him at, like he was like he'd be out of shape and lazy, like his his weight would fluctuate, his 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 um, effort level would fluctuate, and there was just like a, a a major sort of bust potential in terms of like like why can't this kid just just sort of give give consistent effort, and and that's a tough like when you go to Alabama, they're either gonna pull that out of you. Or, or you're gonna, or they're gonna, you're gonna transfer, and I mean, when he went to Alabama, very clearly, like they pulled that out of him, and he's been, he is as freaky as they come when you just sort of watch him on film, uh, and so I guess my question is, is that light all the, like turned on for good, and and or is is does some of those old sort of tendencies come back when he's on his own, uh, you know, I'd be I, I would be curious what like NFL teams have dug up on him. Uh, but but certainly from a from a what he's shown over the course of his career at Alabama, like he to me is a is a no doubt first rounder. No doubt first rounder. Do you think that he's like a? Do you think that he's as surefire as they come in terms of uh, being able to give you four to five years of really high level play at the NFL? Like I said, I mean, if base, basing it on what I've seen on 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 film and and in games, I think so. Um, it took, it must've, it must, and, and this is again, probably a credit to Alabama, but I felt like, you know how, uh, <laughs> uh, you know how sometimes, and especially I'm sure that you can sympathize with this since you've been tracking these guys since high school, you know how like each spring and each summer you try to come up with the list of names for each team just to like, to either get ahead of the curve or provide some value as a college football analyst talking about this stuff. Like I, I felt like I was pointing to Deron Payne, keep an eye on Deron Payne uh, for about a season and a half before the light really went off and he started dominating. Well, but that was really just a product of all the other guys on that defensive line that he had. Like he was just like he wouldn't play, like he only played a handful of snaps a game because he got all these other first rounders in front of him. So this was finally the year that, you know, he was the guy and I think he lived up to it to me. Um and that's just you know it's it's another another thing I've 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 been told by NFL scouts is like you know the you there's there's not really a you hear about like the our our, our Bama guys maxed out like that sort of knock that that's not the knock that NFL guys that I've talked to have on Alabama but the knock that they that they do have is like their bodies are worn down like. It's the, the positive is they've been battling against other Bama guys, other five stars and four stars every year, and so they're they're battle tested and they're they're ready to roll in the NFL. They're not going to back down from anything. But the flip side of that is their bodies are a little bit more beaten down because they do battle against those guys every day in practice. Um, and so even if they're not getting quite as many much wear on their tires from uh, you know playing in games and 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 rotating in and out, and not playing as many snaps. They're they're getting that wear on the back end on, on practice as well. So I thought that was interesting. Uh, that that's sort of a calculus that 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 NFL teams have to take into effect at Bama. 
Did you uh, see the observation that someone made about Reuben Foster? No. It was they like he listed it was a list of all of the legal troubles and otherwise that Reuben Foster has had since getting drafted and it was like this this more this as much as anything can speak to the program that Alabama runs in terms of I, like keeping <laughs> in terms of control in terms of you know everything else cuz you know you I thought about it when you talked about Deron Payne like is that is that light still going to be on when he's out on his own and there you know there if you if you have concerns you know i think that ruben foster unfortunately is an example of uh you know perhaps and i don't i don't know ruben i don't want to speak to it but perhaps there's something to be said that uh, that alabama program can keep can keep a lot packaged in right can right. a lot of control there there's no doubt and that was a this is there were big red flags for Reuben Foster coming out last year. Like th- th- this was a real risk. And uh, I can't remember, did he drop because of medical and as much as, as much as the, uh, oh, there was like a, stuff. Yeah. I mean, there was like a combine. Uh, I remember he got sent home from the combine. Yeah. But I feel like there was like, I, I feel like the, the drop was more about the a medical thing like than, a than knee? it was about like just the, the shoulders or concussions or something. Anyways, like I, the people I talked to last year were like he was, like a lot of the scouts you talked to, he was their favorite player on film in that class. But they're but the but on the that same scout would be like, well, we can't touch him. He's that guy's a mess. Uh, so I think the 49ers knew what their risk was there. Um, I'll give you a guy though in this draft that I I think is maybe my, one of my favorite guys in this class, um, which is sort of remarkable considering what Ohio State's done at defensive back. But Denzel Ward, uh, to me, that's the corner I want in this class. And they, I, you know, I know he's not that 6'3", 6'2", length, but man, when, when you watch the way he competed this fall, um, every, like he, that guy battles for every football. And, and he has elite speed. He is not a guy like he wasn't a high profile prospect. He was a, a kid that Ohio State offered late. Like his, his biggest other offers were like Cincinnati and schools like that. Um, but big, had big time senior film. Um, and he just sort of, and in that loaded secondary, he's just sort of battled along and kept on, on, on plugging away. And then when his opportunity came this year for him to be the starter, he, he, he seized it and was, uh, I, I I I love that guy. I I uh the the Ohio State defensive backfield from this era is going to be the kind of stuff that we go back to on Wikipedia ten years from now. Yeah, like the it'll, it'll be like on par with like the Miami running backs. Uh, yeah. Of of like the early two thousands or uh, whatever that crew was that had like Willis McGahee and Frank Gore and all those guys in the same backfield. Yeah, there's there's going to be like five pro bowlers that we're going to find out we're all in the defensive backfield together in the same room at right. least at at Ohio State. Uh that's like the 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 top he occupies an interesting uh cornerback situation where it's like him, Josh Jackson, they're awesome. Jair Alexander's really, really good, and then I kind of feel like there's a little bit of a drop off after that. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll see like a mock sneak in that's got Dante Jackson as a as a 
you know, first round pick. And while I, I hope that that happens because I had Dante Jackson ranked really high and I like him a lot, uh, that, that seems like a reach to me. What about Carlton uh, Davis? That was you, that was the SEC player is, that I was. Are there thinking some? About. Are there some are there people sneaking him in the first round? Some? No, I'm. Oh. I'm just saying, like, even on my list, of, like, if like I'm, I'm sorting through the the cornerback. We're recording here on Friday morning, by the way. Uh, I'm on Monday. I'm writing a a top, you know, chips chips version of like the, his 32 favorite players that are in this draft class, and I'm, I'm writing it solely from the perspective of a, a college football writer as if it was at the very end of the season. These are my players. Rank them up. I'm starting by doing positions. And uh, Carlton Davis, I was like, man, I I watched a lot of Auburn games and was very impressed with Carlton Davis this year. Yeah, well, and he's that big body. I mean, he's that he's that physical outside presence. Um in, in contrast with a guy like a Dante Jackson, who's just a speedster cover guy. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I like, I like Carlton Davis. Um, you know, the, the, the DB that, that I think is sort of more as his per- career progressed, the, that maybe has worked himself into a possible first round type of guy. Like how about Justin Reed at Stanford? Oh man. I mean, that dude's an, he, he's, he is, He's a freaky athlete. He's he's a big time hitter on film. He's really smart. Clearly, uh, I mean, he's he's Eric Reed's younger brother, so he's he's got the bloodlines to be you know really successful. He knows what it takes in the league. Um, to me, like if you're looking for a safety outside of that, outside of that Derwin James, Mika Fitzpatrick, uh, sort of tier, I'd feel pretty. I'd feel in fact really comfortable with. Uh, with Justin, with Justin Reed. Mm. Um, all right. So as, as, as we're winding up here, what's, what else is in Barton's notebook from, uh, from, from draft, draft analysis, either things that you want to make sure that, uh, fans or NFL teams keep in mind when they're looking at some of these prospects or something that you think they got wrong, anything. Uh, yeah. I mean, so I, I think, I don't know. Like I, I, as I look at the, you know, one thing that, that interests me too is is when you look at like I think another thing that NFL teams get seduced by on the offensive line is 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 length and athleticism. I really liked Colton Miller coming out of high school because he's athletic and and he's I mean he was he was so athletic, so nimble at that size. He's getting mocked in the first round by a lot of people. Um, but to me, when you look across the board at the NFL, the guys that are consistently successful aren't necessarily these long fluid like athletes. They're just the they're just the grinders. And and to me, like if I'm a if I'm picking a a, a first uh, you know an offensive lineman in the first round, I mean Quentin Nelson is the no doubt guy. Like he has he's the grinder and he's the athlete and he's the side you know all that stuff. Yeah. But like I'm I'm feeling much more confident with like an Isaiah Wynn. Uh, a Will Hernandez out of UTEP, uh, one of these guys that's just a brawler, um, uh, over a, a six foot six, pretty athlete like Colton Miller. And and look, that's another one. I hope he goes high because I had Colton Miller ranked a lot higher than most, and so um, so I'm I'm happy to see him get mocked high. But like as I think of this through through the GM's eyes, like give me uh, the offensive line, 
the tough guys. Give me the the nasty dudes and and like let that be something that sort of infiltrates your your offensive line room. It's just that that mentality. So um so yeah, I mean that that's something that I'm anxious to just sort of see who's who, who you know what what NFL um like how they end up, how how those offensive linemen end up shaking out because it it it's got to be a a style like I mean you know a lot of people poorly rank and evaluate offensive linemen because it is very very difficult uh I don't know I just I I gotta imagine that the mentality or the personality or the fit or maybe even like the fit to what you want to do all those things can matter but. Yeah, give me. I like, I like it. Give like, me. what are the, what are, what are people, what are teams going to do with Orlando Brown? Like he's he's six foot a hundred and three hundred and a hundred, and like he's just this massive being, but not overly athletic. Not didn't you know didn't uh, you know put up what fourteen reps on the bench press uh, is just like underwhelming in a lot of ways, and which was high school too. Like that guy coming out of high school was as raw as they get, like, was just bad. Like, like, he was bad coming out of high school. Tennessee dropped him. Tennessee had him committed and didn't feel like they, he was worth the effort to get in from an academic standpoint and let him, let him fly the coop to, to Oklahoma and then his redshirt freshman he's starting. Um, but, like, does that does, – and, and obviously his size and just toughness carried him in college – I'm interested in to see whether the NFL guys think that that can carry him in the NFL uh, because everyone's big in the NFL. So is, is, is that just sort of, is it just mass and physicality going to be enough? Like that, that fooled people in high school thinking that, all right, well we, yeah, he's massive and he's tough, but like, is he, is he really even athletic enough? Um, I'm curious whether that, that people get fooled by that and he ends up being a good NFL guy. Uh, or whether that finally catches up to him. So, like that, that's I think offensive line is fascinating in this class in particular because again, probably the best offensive line in this group is Isaiah Wynn, other than Quentin Nelson. Yeah. Uh, but Isaiah Wynn's six three, and he's you know, is he a tackle? Is he a guard? What is he? So, um, it's going to be really fun to see how that shakes out. Where do you have uh, Nelson's teammate McGlinchey at? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I've seen him sort of in some occasional first round mocks, but I. I I feel like he's again. That's another one. Yeah, he's big and long, and uh, but I would feel more comfortable taking an Isaiah Wynn uh, over him, um, in, 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 in even as a first rounder. Um, so I, I don't. know. I feel like I feel like McGlinchey is sort of in that second round range, though. I hear you. Uh, he is Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Make sure that you're following us on Twitter. You're subscribed to the podcast. You watch CBS Sports HQ all the time. It is the 24-7 Scorch News and Highlights free, full free on all your devices. Barton, thank you very much. Yes, sir. Yes, sir.